the trade deadline in the rearview mirror, I want to quickly just talk about the concept of Seichel, logic. And, you know, in any business, you got to use it in order to not even just get ahead, just stay on the track, right? So in the NBA, um, GMs like to have a dick swinging contest and they try to outdo the other GM and like, oh, I owned him. And it's, it's an issue in life in general, right? Where like one side needs to own the other side and we just can't be like, okay, you need this, I need this. Let's just compromise here, right? So that's one thing. People need to own it. And I always say that in the NBA, the smarter teams, the smarter teams don't look to win every deal. You're gonna win. You're gonna quote unquote win some deals or lose some deals. Meaning, you're giving up something of value, and you're getting less value in return. What's more important is you do the right deals for the trajectory of your franchise. Okay. So, as an example, if you're a team that has a contending window for like a couple of years, like I don't know, the 76ers, you're worried. Hey, Embiid is having an MVP-like season. He's an injury waiting to happen. You know, our time is now to strike, okay? And you want to make a big move like going after James Harden, using Simmons to do so. Yeah, you're going to have to give up a couple of picks. Yes, you're going to have to give up uh, Seth Curry, Dwight Howard, uh, sorry, Andre Drummond, right? But in the end, it's the right move for your franchise, okay? So in that trade, like Philadelphia did the right thing for the trajectory of where they need to go, okay? Uh, Now, look, I, I had a whole rant about, you know, I think the Sixers botched the whole Simmons situation. They threw him under the bus completely. Who would want to play for that franchise after the star talent and Embiid, you know, doesn't have his back? And it's not like he missed the game-winning shot or lamp or free throw. With, like, a couple of minutes left, he passed up a dunk to another player who got fouled who missed free throws. That's not Simmons' fault. Thibault's got to hit his free throws. And, by the way, he is who he is. Like, you, you got to accept it. And if you don't accept it, then then at least build up his value and trade him. But don't do what you did, which is basically like rag on the guy because he can't shoot. Like, it's like Shaq couldn't shoot, but he was dominant inside. And, you know, he's a Hall of Famer because of it. And Simmons has that potential. He doesn't have Shaq potential, but he has Scottie Pippen potential. He's an all-world defender, moves the ball really well, unselfish. I'm not going to knock him. Now, look, he should be able to – he's got to prove his free throws. But, like, you know, I think they created a – sentiment that um, uh, on him with free throws and he got in his head a little bit. Fine. The way they just threw him under the bus, I mean, Embiid after that game. Doc Rivers, he's not a point guard on a title contending team. And then they had a window of about 24, 48 hours where they could have corrected it and been like, hey, um, you know, Simmons is still part of the franchise. No, they didn't do any of that. So, like, what did they expect was going to happen? And then obviously he doesn't want to play. And, they, and his value gets lowered, and then Maury gets lucky because Harden's also a prima donna and uh, demands, you know, he's like, I'm probably not going to re-sign in Brooklyn. So now the Nets are like, oh, crap. And they, just, they got lucky that there was another guy in the same situation, basically. But bottom line, they did the right move for the trajectory of the franchise. But you look at the flip, right? Look at a team like the Knicks. Okay. So the Knicks look at, you know, Sabonis' package, the, what, what, what he got dealt with from Indiana to Sacramento. And they couldn't get that for Randall. Okay, maybe Randall's value was not as high as Sabonis's, right? You know, the Kings had a little fetish for bigs that could pass. I don't know what to tell you. Now, Randall could pass, but they clearly saw a little Vladdy Divac in him, whatever it is. They were obsessed with Sabonis. There was no reason, 
Indiana should have gotten a, a crazy package like they did for Sabotis. They treated Sabotis like he's a top 10 talent. He's a top 30, 35 talent. He's nice. No way is Halliburton, you know, should have been in that deal. It's ridiculous. We all agree there. But um, well, let's see how it shakes up in Sacramento. But the Knicks weren't going to get that same value for Randall, and that's okay. They need to tank. They need to rebuild. You got Chet Holmgren coming in the draft. I'll talk about him. But you got to do the deal that's the trajectory of your franchise. So they had an opportunity. I think Charlotte was flirting with them. And Charlotte's in a position where they're a couple of games in, a couple of games out, right? Um, and, you know, Jordan's a win-now kind of guy. And now they got ball. They got a franchise guy. Time to sort of compliment him. On top of that, they have a, a bunch of interesting guys who are about to be restricted free agents, namely P.J. Washington. And other guy, vets like, you know, Rozier, who were like, who actually fit long-term on a rebuilding team, but um, didn't look like they were keepers for uh, the Hornets long-term. Okay. So there was a construct around Washington, Hayward, Rozier. Hayward's out. And Hayward's a great guy to get because his value is at an all-time low. Once he gets healthy again, he gets, you know, he can recoup his value and then he could, he could swap him or keep him. Either or. But you had Rogier, Hayward, and Washington. And the Knicks could have moved Randall, Fournier, and, and throw in Alec Burks, or even quickly, who they're probably not even going to retain. Okay? And got in at least a few first-rounders in that deal from the Hornets. Maybe one, at least one, maybe two. But what that deal does, you can tell me, Ethan, it's not a great deal. Here's what the deal does. Right? First, you're putting Cam Reddish, who the Knicks need to give a bigger flyer on. Need to. He's a talent, right? You let Toppin, Reddish, uh, Barrett Grimes, you let them, you explore with them, okay? Your core youth now. You have spacing all around, around them. Washington can space. Rozier can space. Hayward's not going to play minutes, so your wings are still getting minutes. You know, Grimes, and, and uh, if you kept quickly, fine. All right? You have another veteran there. You get picks. It works perfectly, Okay? Uh, and then on top of that, here's the beauty of it. The Knicks get worse. So the Knicks right now are almost like a trench to get a pick between 10 and 12. They're about four games up on, um, it's so weird to say, like, your, your game's up because you're trying to get worse. You're like games up on uh, the bottom. The bottom treads are basically, you got to get worse than, like, the, the Portland's, you know, Portland's going to start losing, likely, even though they had a great win the other night. But you got to get below the 10. The, ten, the, the teams that make the playoffs, and they got to start getting into the Orlando, uh, you know, area, basically. Orlando, OKC, you know, you're not going to be able to compete with Detroit, okay? But if you can get yourself a top five, top six positioning down from 12, you know, if you could usurp Indiana, let's say, that's going to be the team that you need to out-tank, if you will, right, between you and Indiana. If you're in five to seven range, that's a big difference because now you have five to seven and then you have, hopefully, these future Charlotte picks. You already got the Dallas picks. You have enough to maybe move up to get a guy like Chet Holger. Right? I'm going to get to Chet. I'm going to get to Chet. So, and this is the draft to do that. You got to take a big risk move like that. And uh, and then you have spacers throughout. And now you have a core for your franchise. The problem with the Knicks is, like, they have no core. Like, even Barrett. I like Barrett a lot. I'm not sure. I'm predicting that they're going to move from Donovan Mitchell. It depends on what they want to do with tips and stuff. I think they were enamored with making the playoffs last year. It depends on what kind of say Dolan has. But I don't know. If, if, if they're approached with 
uh, a deal involving Donovan Mitchell or you know Brandon Ingram, let's say, um, and, it, and it costs R.J. Barrett. I think they're. I think they they, they do it. I think a Randall, um, Rose, and then insert a third guy, who's your stud, is too enticing. And by the way, that makes them a perennial six seed. Like that doesn't make them that good. They go back to the mellow fallacy all over again. Let's see. We, we shall see. But uh, if they're going to take this is the year to take, and you can't take that many times with Dolan. Dolan does not give you an opportunity to do a full rebuild. Right? You're able. To, you're able to get a few top five picks who who hit more or less. Right? Like you can make an argument about KP, but I would say KP, you know, ha- had a good stretch. Now I'm not going to get into KP. But, um, you know, Barrett hit, and they needed to do it just one more time. They get another guy. And, you know, there's a big difference. The difference between getting 8 to 12 is, and, and top 5 is the difference between Kevin Knox and uh, R.J. Barrett, right? You see it on the team, Frank Nilakina. These guys, it, it, you know, in order for you to hit 8 to 15, you really got to develop the talent. And, look, Quentin Grimes looks good. Let's see. Let's see. But the team has, has failed to fully develop, I would say, lot, late lotto, first-round pick talent in recent years uh, to be long-standing players. I mean, the crazy, and this is the craziest stat, that the Knicks have not re-signed a first-round pick since Charlie Ward is the craziest stat in all sports. Crazy. I want to talk about Chet real quick. So, look, if you told me the there was a guy... Uh, coming out, who was over seven foot, okay, um, you know, averaging per 36 is like 26, 16, three blocks for the number one team, for a, a team that, that could be the number one team in the nation, right? Could pass, you could shoot, really no flaws. Um, I would tell you, okay, that's going to be the unequivocal number one pick. And I'd usually be right. Like in most years, that's Anthony Davis, right? That's Chris Webber. Right? That's what it looks like. Okay? Unequivocal number one. No doubter number one. Uh, but this year, Chet Holmgren is projected to go three and might even slip past that. Huh. I wonder why. No one talks about this. Why is Chet Holmgren going to go three? Why is he projected to go three? He should be a no-doubter number one. This reminds me of Luka Doncic all over again. It's the same thing. Luka, at his time, should have been unequivocal number one. Should have been unequivocal no-doubter number one. Again, you have a guy who was dominating the EuroLeague um, at such a young age. MVPs, MVPs, right? Um, Just killing all stages. And look, GMs, I'm not going to use the R word, but they have a lot of stereotypes on, on segment of groups, right? So when, when, when GMs think like a white guy, they're like, he's got to be a good shooter, maybe a good passer, but he's definitely got to be a good shooter. We're thinking shooters, shooters, shooters. They don't think like uber athletic, um, you know, uh, all around talent, great defender. They definitely don't think that, right? And you can say, well, anytime they got burned before, sure, you have like Joe Alexander is the name that comes to mind with Milwaukee. He was uber athletic. It, it didn't, it didn't work, right? Um, 
And then there's guys, like, there's white guys that, that go in the top five, right? Like, like Mike Dunleavy Jr. was drafted high. But again, he was seen as this, like, good passer, good shooter. Which he was, so he got drafted high. Um, so they have a sort of narrow-minded view of what, like, a certain uh, segment, a certain societal group should look like, right? The classic example I give about this is... You know, when Jeremy, Jeremy Lin fell in the second round, right? And he was in the G the G League, and he was in the summer league, and he didn't get a shot. And the, and the classic line that still rings true, is, well, the reason why is a lot of GMs were like, well, he looks slow. He actually wasn't slow. Like, in the combines, he was pretty fast. On the court, he was fast. What does that mean, he looks slow? It's because when you think of an Asian-American playing basketball, you know, against uh, African-Americans and, and uber-athletic individuals, you know, your, your mind, because of you know, biases that you have, you're thinking, okay, he's, he's kind of slow and, and, and uh, you're not even looking at the numbers, even if he's fast. He's almost got to be exceptionally fast to kind of change your mind. So the same is true with, with Chet, right? You know, Chet, look, does he have, he, he doesn't fit the classic like white dude stereotypes. He's not like a, It'd almost be better off, actually, if he was an exceptional shooter and couldn't do anything else, then he would fit the stereotype. But he doesn't fit the stereotype. He looks like a, a skinny, white, goofy kid. Okay? And because of that, he's going to fall. Well, I'll tell you this. The team that takes him is going to get a gem. He should be an unequivocal, unequivocal number one. And there's... Um, it's a rarity, the, the concept of an unequivocal number one. Unequivocal number one is a rarity, right? So in recent NBA memory... You could argue with this. It's fine. I, I think an unquote number one guy is usually a number one pick that people saw at least two years out, right? So two years in advance, everyone's like, oh, this guy's going to be number one in two years, right? So the question is, okay, who else was unequivocal number one? I mean, you're talking about guys like, um, you know, obviously, Lou Alcindor when he came out, Magic Johnson, uh, David Robinson, you know, Kim Olajuwon. Right, I mean, they're usually drop dead studs. Shaq, Weber, okay, can make a big dog argument. Eh, Duncan for sure, okay. Like teams are taking years in advance for the guy, right? LeBron, I would say, right. And then recently, um, you know, Greg Oden was probably the one that was a bust. And then Zion, Zion was an unequivocal number one. We we knew about him. Years in advance. And you can make an argument like Andrew Wiggins. I remember people were talking about Wiggins for Wiggins, you know. So, fine. Wiggins can be in that list. But Chet should be on that list, too, given these numbers. Again, a guy with really no basketball flaws that I see. Uh, plays center the way you want in today's NBA. Um, and, like, I get it. Dude is thin. But, like, every player bulks up when they get to the NBA. I never heard of a story where, like, a guy remains razor thin when he needed to bulk up. They all bulk up. You don't want the opposite. You don't want the Zion, actually. You don't want the guy who's already super bulked, and then he needs to go to the NBA to lose weight. The only guy that succeeded there was, like, Charles Barkley. So it's a rarity. Anyway, that's the path. So it's rare that you have an unequivocal number one who's now going to be available at number three. The Knicks had a shot. They fucked it up. And the question is, who else will?